this before we have our next scripture read, I'd like to introduce it because the passage is going to be from Galatians chapter 3. That's the, what we've been looking at the last few weeks. Remember, I told you that religion is bad for you. And my definition of religion is us striving to get to God where God is looking for a relationship. God's not looking for religion, he's looking for a relationship with us, with his creation, right? The creator, the creation, relationship. And he's also trying to help us develop a relationship with each other in his family. How many people here have ever owned a dog or had a dog as a pet? Man's best friend, maybe even woman's best friend, okay? Now, dogs are great. <coughs> But there's something about dogs. Their eyesight is okay. But they use their nose primarily for sensing things, right? There's so many nerve endings in the nose. That's why we were talking about the dog that we had uh, last night over supper. And that was, you could just hear, I can't imitate him well enough. But he was always sniffing, always sensing, seeing what's going on. Now, typically, what you would do with this dog, you're trying to point out something. His name is Indy. Indy, look over there. What was he going to do? Was he going to look over there? No, he's going to snip my finger. And I think, no, over there. That's what we have. This is a problem we have in Galatians. Galatians is all about a controversy in the early church. People were focused on the outward appearance about religious performance. They thought there was a heresy, lies coming into the church saying, it's not enough to have Jesus. You need Jesus plus something else. And the something else was this. You need to, you need to, it's great that you follow Jesus, but what you need to be a really good Christian, the best Christian possible, is to follow the old Jewish laws. And for all you guys, that means getting snipped, getting circumcised, and following on the tradition of the Jewish faith. And that was the big controversy there. Like, what, what does Jesus really want us to do? Circumcision was intended as a sign in the Old Testament of God's covenant people. But people, like our dog Indy, were so obsessed with the sign, they were missing what the sign was pointing to. Do you understand? Does that make sense? So, we as people, we can get so obsessed with the externals, we forget what they're supposed to be pointing to. Now, as this passage is read, Galatians 3, it's long, it's, it's 14 whole verses. Can we handle it? <laughs> as, as you read, think about, think about this, the Galatian Christians potentially getting sidetracked, looking at being obsessed with the sign instead of what the sign is pointing to. Okay? And then we'll continue. Oh foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death from the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? 
course not. You received, sorry, you received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, It is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says, it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Here ends the reading of God's word. May he richly bless it. Thank you. So what we're trying to sort out in, as we go through this book of Galatians is the tension between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God had a special people that he was trying to communicate to and try to work with. And his plan is that through these people, the Jews, the whole world would be blessed and be welcomed into a relationship with the Creator. And he worked on them literally for centuries. And he, and he said, I'm going to bless you guys. I picked you just, at, not quite at random, but I just, I love you because I just love you. And not because you deserve it. And I'm going to focus on you and teach you about myself. And people are going to be able to connect with me, the creator, because you follow me. So he gave them these ways that what we call the law um, 
It was a little bit like this. Probably the best way of explaining it, this is how God, uh, sorry, God inspired the Apostle Paul to explain it. Have you seen this picture? What do you see in this picture? Pardon? Crossing guard with kids, yeah? Kids all dressed the same. What are the kids holding on to? There used to be a church at the end of our street, Belvedere Street. Now it's an empty lot and an eyesore. But when that church was functioning, they had a daycare. And you see these little kids walking down our street to the playground, all hanging on to the rope. Sometimes they're all dressed identically, just like little ducklings follow a mother duck, you know? So the idea is hanging on to the rope. Now, what do you think would happen if a kid let go of the rope? There would, yeah, there, there would be a consequence, right? There would be a consequence. So you make sure that you hang on to the rope. The Apostle Paul says, the law, the, the, the Jewish law, was like this rope taking kids to back and forth uh, from their preschool. The, the law was basically a, a guardian. Let's, let's read that. I'll read that passage. Think of this picture of the rope in a minute. Um, so here's the tension. All these Jewish Christians are coming to these new Gentile Christians and saying, it's not enough to follow Jesus. It's Jesus plus something else. And these we call them Judaizers. These, these really super religious people were, like our dog, Indy, sniffing at the finger instead of seeing what the finger pointed to. They were obsessed with keeping rules as a way of getting God's approval, rather than jumping into God's glorious grace. We've been singing about grace, grace, grace all morning. What that is, is God's total acceptance, no strings attached for anyone who recognizes, God, my life's a mess. You've absolutely got to save me. You've got to change me from the inside out. I've got to cast myself in the mercy of the court. I need your grace, your undeserved favor. I know I don't deserve it. You know I don't deserve it. But I know it's your intention to bless. That's your nature. I ain't going to grab hold of that grace. It's by grace that you're saved through faith and not of ourselves, okay? Nobody, nobody ever can take credit for getting themselves into God's family because they kept a list of religious laws. No way. It just doesn't work that way. And Paul's trying to get it into his friends' Galatians' heads and hearts. That's how things work. So, he says, before the coming of this faith, this, this faith in Jesus, we were held in custody under the law, the Jewish uh, regulations. Locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. And now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. The word he uses is guardian in the Greek was meant specifically for a slave that would take a kid to school and pick up the kid after school and take them home again. Sort of like the picture I gave you. We made sure, okay, hang on to the rope, kids. We're going to get to the park safely and we're going back to the daycare. Okay? 
That's exactly the function of the Old Testament law. And it did it like this. God gave us the Ten Commandments for all of mankind, and then he gave the, the specific Jewish regulations for the Jewish people. And all of these things were intended to show us our need for a Redeemer, our need for a Savior. Why in the Jewish faith did they kill lambs and slaughter goats and do all this blood sacrifice? God was trying to teach them that there's a consequence for sin. Someone had to pay the price. And the only way that price could be satisfied, that justice could be satisfied, is that someone had to pay for it. And it was with the blood of an, of an innocent animal. And you're saying, that's not fair. You're right. Sin's not fair. Life's not fair. And God's trying to teach people that there are consequences to rebelling against Him. When we break God's law, it's sort of like me jumping off the, the bell tower here in the church. I can't really break the law of gravity. The law of gravity is going to break me when I land, right? So that's kind of what happens when we break God's laws. It's not like we're going to mess up God or help him have a bad day or we're going to ruin his week or something like that. It's that we mess up our lives when we break God's law. So God's laws originally were intended like boundaries and fences to keep us safe and protect us and to benefit us, not to spoil our fun. I've told you before that if you want kids to have a really good time, a really safe playground, you put a fence around it, not to ruin their fun, but to protect them from outside intruders. Right? There's always creepy people driving around in white vans outside schools. You see, hear warnings about them all the time. So schools need to be protected places so kids can have fun and be safe and have a good environment. I'm so reassured now when I walk into a school that someone is scrutinizing me as I come in the door. And that's good, because you can't just have anybody wander into a place, right? So, the Ten Commandments were for our benefit and for our protection. But even keeping all those commandments wouldn't get us into God's good books, because it's not about us trying to get to God, it's about God graciously becoming one of us. And that's what these, these people were hung up on. They sing, oh, Jesus is good, but you really got to do this extra stuff to be right in the club. And that's wrong. And that kind of mentality has spread into the church over centuries. Now, just brainstorm with me, just for a minute. Um, help us think. This is the audience participation time, where I have to wake you up and, and uh, ask for your feedback. But what kind of things do you think over the history of the church, maybe in just your experience with following Jesus, what kind of extra things have, have people tried to heap on you or put on you? Like, we follow Jesus, right? And Jesus is our, is our the only way to the Father. But what kind of extra stuff have people tried to put on you? Say, well, it's good that you're following Jesus, but if you do this extra stuff, that you'd really be a Christian. Can anybody, anybody want to share an example of that? Tithing. I'm sorry? Tithing. Tithing. Okay. And that's giving 10% of your income to, yeah. Guilt. Churches are really good at that. You know what? 
When I pastored the Mennonite church, they claimed that they had the corner on guilt. But I don't think that's right, because I grew up in a different denomination. Then I talked to my Catholic friends, and they said, oh, we've got the corner on guilt. And yeah, the guilt is just a prevalent thing, right? Yeah, yeah. They make you feel like you should do things like shoulds. Anything else? Don't smoke, don't drink. Yeah, don't smoke, don't drink. Don't smoke or drink or chew or go with girls that do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry? Oh, the, the devil music with those those things right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What to, what to wear? Yes, what to wear and what not to wear. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that people would say that, right? That that's that's really it's just wacky, man, that someone would say don't read the Bible, it's all witchcraft and lies. Because the Bible's God's word, right? Yeah. Okay. That God is in church. And then if you don't belong to the church, then you can't God. Right, that God is in church. Right. Yeah, so some people, and again, remember, we're talking about people sniffing the signs instead of seeing what the signs are pointing to. So people, it's easy to get locked up into a performance thinking, this is very subtle. And people saying, well, I'm into church. Or if we can only go to church. Like the idea is if we just arrive for a religious event, we've done it, we've made it, right? And it's very subtle. I remember when we were first married, sometimes the way and I would, you know, you race to church and you get there 11-ish, you know, kind of, within reason, when you're starting, and you sit down and we kind of look at each other and say, oh, we made it. Then we thought, wait a minute, what are we here for? And so we try to get in the habit of getting there not quite so late, and then, and, and sometimes, when, it's back when we used to sit together in church, um, before I started doing stuff like this, we would sit and look at each other and say, now, what are we here for? That's not a bad habit. When you come in, settle down, think, okay, why am I here? Not to see and be seen, not to check something off the list, but hopefully to try to connect with God. And if the church is worth its salt, Lord willing. Holy Spirit will reveal himself to all of us and we can go on in our walk with God. But I think what Shannon is saying is that sometimes there's a pressure just to show up and conform and look together on the outside, but inside we may be a complete mess. And there may be all kinds of different stuff. So it's not about religious performance. It's not about following other people's expectations. It's really about an internal relationship, a relationship, not religion, a relationship with Jesus, right? So the whole idea of the law being dealt away with, the law wasn't bad. It was like that, it was like that rope, getting the kids to preschool, getting them back, the law showed us our need for Jesus. 
because we can't be good on our own. I've tried it. I tried it for a long time. I just can't be good on my own. And I was a pretty good kid. Well, don't talk to my sisters. But I mean, I looked good on the outside. I had that. I had. I had religious performance down pat. I was really good at it because I had to be. And uh, that doesn't kind of. So when we learn how to live a free life, a spiritually free life, and Jesus, Jesus changes us from the inside out, and we learn about this, this grace that we're singing about this morning, we experience it personally, we come into contact with the living God who made us, knows everything about us, and my goodness, we learn that he loves us the way we are, but he also loves us not to leave us the way we are. That's even better. And he gives us that power and potential to begin changing and healing. It's amazing. Did you know that the word for saved in the New Testament, sozo, that's how you say it, sozo, um, means not just to be saved from danger, but to be healed and made whole and to be made well. I like that word. Like restored, put back together the way we were originally intended to be. That is such a cool word. That's why Jesus died for us, so that we might be, we might be saved and made whole. Okay. So that's why the, the law was good. It showed us our need for Jesus, that we couldn't do it. And so eventually, those preschool kids, when they get old enough, they will learn to let go of the rope. You don't see too many 18-year-olds doing that. Although their parents wish they could do that. But that's another sermon. Um, eventually, they learn how to walk freely, right? And they don't need the rope anymore. So Paul continues, and he says, So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So the, the law did its job. It was his guardian, but we don't need the Old Testament law anymore. That's why we don't practice it. And we don't have altars where we butcher animals and things like that and stain the carpet. We don't do that anymore because in Jesus, he died. His death was enough once and for all for you and me. Everybody else in Winnipeg, everybody else in Canada, even the United States. The whole world, present, past, present, future. That one time that was enough. Wow. Do you see why people get excited about Jesus? I can see that. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have closed yourselves with, with Christ. If anybody else, if anybody wanders up to you and says, oh, we're all God's children. Well, not exactly. We're God's children through faith in Jesus. Okay? To be God's child, you have to recognize the fact that Jesus is Lord. Make Him your Lord. Follow Him. Then you're God's child. Not just random people who watch Oprah and have a good feeling and saying, oh, we're all God's children. No. If you have faith in Jesus... Because only Jesus can change people, not well-intentioned TV hosts. But only Jesus can change people. But if we put our faith in Him, 
then we're God's child. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, that's why we're baptizing people in a few weeks. We're going to celebrate having a party and say this is an outward symbol of an inward reality. They're baptized and they're clothed. They've clothed themselves with Christ. It's like they're putting on a new, a new outfit, a new person. So in this new family that we have, this is where it gets really amazing. In this new family, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. This gets really cool. And by the way, if you belong to, to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed, and the heirs according to the promise. This passage talks about the fact that we have new spiritual relationships in Christ. It says... In Jesus, we're all children of God through faith. So our vertical relationships totally change. We're adopted into God's family. The adoption papers are signed. All of a sudden, our pictures are on his fridge. We're part of the family. And we're in his will. Even though we didn't deserve it. Right? Boom. We're there. So our vertical relationships dramatically change. And our horizontal, our social relationships radically change. Because if you're in God's family, there's no room for racism. There's no room for racial superiority. Isn't that interesting? I love the variety of folks who come here on Sunday morning. And I wish you could see what I get to see. I wish I could hold a mirror up to you guys. You look great. You're, you're a beautiful product. You clean up well, not just because it's Sunday, but what a lovely variety of people I see here. That is such a blessing. Do you understand that, friends? That is such a blessing. Because in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's no room for prejudice. There's no room for jokes, there's no, I'm sorry if I tease Mennonites too much, I like them, sorry, or Baptists, as I grew up Baptists, those are the only two groups I'll pick on, but there's no room for that, there's no room for prejudice in God's family, because we're all in Jesus, that's fantastic, some of the most amazing experiences I've had when I've met Christians from other countries, and other continents, literally, and we found that, that common connection. It's, it's, there's something, Jesus, it's not like we're members of the Rotary Club International and I've got my little Rotarian pin on and oh, isn't it great to meet a Rotarian from some other country? Well, I suppose that's nice. But to meet someone who follows Jesus, we can barely speak each other's languages, we can barely communicate, but you just know it's the Spirit of God making that connection between the two. So in Christ, all the racial divides and ethnic hatred and all that stuff, there's no room for that. There's no room for that. It goes. That's powerful. And in Jesus, it says we're neither slave nor free. That means all the social distinctions disappear. Now, in Canadian society, it is not as rigid socially 
as some of the societies we can think of. But we still have a tendency to look down our nose on some people when we find out how they're dressed, what they look like, where they live, what they drive, if they drive. You know, all these things. I like to tease some of my suburban friends by telling them, you can meet so many interesting people on the bus, and they don't believe me. You know, that's part of the reason I love the bus. But you know, just we, we find different ways of erecting these subtle social barriers. You know, it's bad enough in middle school and high school where we judge other people by the way they dress and stuff. But you know what? As people get older, unfortunately, they usually don't get any more mature. They just get older. Which is kind of sad in a way. I think you would like to think that people would grow up, but many of us don't. And we still get stuck in that middle school attitude of you have this label and you have that label, and you know, we just judge people according to social status. But in Christ, all those things just aren't important. They don't. What counts is Jesus changing us from the inside out, right? And it's really sweet to see that. Also, in Christ, the, there, there's no room for any misogyny or mistreatment of women or no, no hierarchy, male-female hierarchy like this. It says, nor is there male or female. That, that does not mean that the distinctions between sexes disappear. I think it's great that there's male and female and be by the girls. Seriously. It's beautiful. But what Paul is saying here, male and female are equal value in God's family. That's the way God sees it. Now, we don't appreciate that back in this day, Back in this context, these were dangerous, almost heretical words. This verse out of the Bible is social dynamite. Because for Paul to come along and say, in Christ is neither Jew or Gentile, there have been years and centuries of enmity and separation between Jews and Gentiles. You just, you didn't even, a good Jew didn't even eat with a Gentile. And all of a sudden, your family, it's like, Oh, what are my parents going to think of, you know, about eating with Gentiles? My, my mother would have a fit. Well, better have a fit. In Christ, they seem that you were Gentile. All of a sudden, in this, in this historical context, what do you mean There's, there was slavery? Unfortunately, slavery is still heavily predominant in our world today. But in that society, slaves were just an accepted thing. They, were, they weren't even people. They were pieces of property. But all of a sudden, if that person, that slave followed Jesus and you followed Jesus, you weren't owner slave, you were brother and brother, sister and sister. And that was radical. And in that society as well, females were not honored, women were not honored the way they should be. And to see God say, male and female, no distinction, no hierarchy there. They're equally valuable. Because we're all one in Christ Jesus. That was radical stuff. Radical stuff. 
And some of those distinctions are still subtly or not so subtly in our churches today. And we need to keep working at that to remind ourselves that in Christ, to, to, for all of us to be truly free, we need to realize that as far as God's concerned, it doesn't matter what, what your ethnic background is, it doesn't matter what your gender is, it doesn't matter what your social status is, we're all one in Jesus. I'll give you a little example of how this can work out at even a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Justina gave this wonderful, spontaneous sermon at the beginning of the service. That was, I think, was one of the highlights of the year for me. And I'm supposed to be the head dude around here, whatever. It was one of the highlights for me. So I'm really looking forward to when we can give her the opportunity to actually prepare more and share what God's put in her heart, just to share the spiritual gifts that God's put in her heart. Oh, wouldn't that be great? And just figure out and wrestle with this verse and say, how do we, how do we sort that? That's just something for you to discuss over lunch. And you can bring me in the same later. But anyway, I think it's, it's something for us to, to pray into and think about. See, it's so important that we get this because this is all about our horizontal relationships. If our vertical relationship with Jesus has been restored, <coughs> God, we know God is our Father, and this, this is working well. When that happens, then all of a sudden it affects our social relationships as well. And we stop judging people from other ethnicities. We stop judging people from other social backgrounds. We stop judging people from other genders. And Jesus breaks down all those barriers in a healthy way. You got a vertical line, and you got a horizontal line, and what do you got? Cross. Pretty cool, right? That's my visual that I want to leave for you today. Because the cross is all about restored relationships or um, vertically and horizontally. So, and if we belong to Christ, then we're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That means that, we were, that all of a sudden we're part of God's family. We have an inheritance. I don't know if you come from a wealthy background or not. I'm not counting on a big boatload of money from my parents or my in-laws because we're not super, at least financially well-off people. But I've already started reaping some of the rewards of being related to my family of origin. But if we're heirs according to the promise, what that means is we're part of God's family. And we get to inherit eternal life. And eternal life starts right away. As soon as we start following Jesus. Not when we die. We are already experiencing eternal life. Which is a sweet thing. And it can be a life lived in harmony with God. And in harmony with our brothers and sisters in faith. Right? And that's a beautiful thing. My prayer for Elam is that we could be a community where people can come and experience the grace that we've been saying about this morning. Grace. Based on acceptance of people having value. Not based on, did you come to church enough? Did you show up for choir practice? Are you doing this, that, or the other thing? But grace, to saying, wow. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, Jesus is changing us from the inside. That's awesome. Let's walk together. If we can 
develop a place like that, if we could make it possible for Holy Spirit to start changing us from the inside like that, that would be a beautiful thing. It would threaten to transform Winnipeg. What do you think? Are you feeling dangerous today? I think it could. I think it could. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to become one in Christ, one in Jesus. Because you are changing us, you are blessing us, you want to reveal your love to us. So I pray, Father, for our vertical part of our relationship with you and our horizontal relationship with each other. Help us to live out the gospel. Thank you for this.